were drowning in a sea of sin, going down for the last time, when you called upon his name, he reached down his nail-scarred hand, and he lifted you So remember where you were back then. Thank Him for where you are now. Give Him the glory for what He's done in your heart. He took you from sin and strife and gave a new song. the Savior's feet. Do you remember when with all your heart you longed to serve Him? But you didn't think that Jesus could ever use someone like you. But look how He's used your life. He brought you out. So remember where you were back then and thank Him for where you are now. Give Him the glory for what He's done in your heart. He took you from sin and strife and gave a new start. He took your broken life and he made you complete. So take off those crowns of glory and cast them at the Savior's feet. So take off those crowns of glory and cast them at the Savior's feet. Well, praise the Lord. That's a, that's a good song to remind you of where you come from. Amen? Isn't that good? Well, amen. Well, uh, again, I'm certainly glad we've gathered tonight. And, uh, fellas, if you would, would you put that slide up there, please? We're going to get started here. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Let's go ahead and read that tonight. Again, we're going to go ahead and continue in our study, but tonight I'm going to give you a little test, all right? And, uh, you know, you see this little guy up there, he's got the thinking cap on, he's trying to figure it all out, but uh, our series has been The World and You, and the question is, are you learning? Now, you say, there should be a question mark after that, and there really should, but the way the question marks look in that font, they're just horrible, and I didn't want to change all the fonts, and it looks so bad, I thought somebody's going to go, boy, you hit the wrong key. But really, it'd be, I, I, you'll see one here later. I left a few of them in there just so you'd have the privilege of seeing them and realize that I'm not nearly as ignorant as you thought. <clears throat> so anyway, let's go ahead and, uh, let's go ahead and read this 1 John chapter 2 as we get things going here. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, we 
Read, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now again, as I said, we're going to take a little test. And instead of like me recapping or summarizing or going through the first portions of this series and familiarizing us with it again or trying to help somebody that hasn't been here to kind of catch up to speed, we're just going to go ahead and take a little test. Now, this is not a, um, uh, you know, a, I guess a college level. It's not college level, so don't get nervous, all right? This is just basic Fundamental things that we've been learning along the way. And so don't anybody blurt the answers out or anything. This is for you to think about. And uh, like I say, you should nail it. I mean, you should get a A++. But still, let's check anyway, okay? Now, let's take the first question. Don't yell out the answer. Everybody come to their own answer first. Give me the privilege of sharing the answers. Here we go. The world and you, are you learning? Question number one. Oh, am I supposed to click it? Okay, good. I got it. Here it is. I got to learn how to use it. Here we go. There we go. Wow. The world in you. Question number one. The world system is comprised of the practical system. The political, excuse me. <laughs> the social system. The economical system. The religious system. Or E, all of the above. Okay, again. The world system is comprised of the political, social, economical, religious, or all of the above systems. Okay, drum roll please. What is it? Let me ask one of these teenagers. What is it? Yes, it's all the above. That's correct. All the above. It includes the political, social, economic, and religious systems. That's right, exactly. All right, you did good. Okay, how many of you got it right? Okay, if you got it wrong, please don't say anything. All right, here we go. Next, what are believers, del- uh, what are believers delivered from according to Galatians 1.4? According to Galatians 1.4. Now, again, we've been saying this over and over again. So don't, don't, don't like, you know, overthink this. Are they delivered from A, satanic oppression? B, this present evil world? C, personal rejection? D, religious discrimination? Or E, none of the above? All right. So, again, there's your five answers. And uh, do I have somebody that knows the answer in this section over here? Right there, that young man. Yes, sir. This present evil world. Very good. Excellent. Very good job. Very good. I won't ask again, but I'm sure most of you got that, if not all. Question number three. Again, this is all introductory, helping us to get to where we're going to kind of kick off again tonight. The believer is to be conformed to A, the world, B, the highest possible standard, C, the image of Christ, or D, none of the above. Is to be conformed to the world, the highest possible standard, the image of Christ, or D, None, or C, or yeah, D, none of the above, all right? How about somebody over here in this section? Yes. D? C, the image of Christ. Absolutely. I was a little nervous at first. <laughs> Woo! Good for you, Devin. Wonderful job. Everybody's doing a great job now. Very good. All right, the image of Christ. That is correct. At first, I thought she said D, and I thought, what? Okay, so here we go. Next. Number four, which of these statements are true according to our study? As believers, 
We are called the children of light. B, the world is in darkness and we are in the light. We are in the light. Yes, in the light. Yeah. Okay? C, light and darkness are opposites and cannot coexist. Either D, all the above, or E, none of the above. So which of these statements are in the... uh, in, in our study, and our, our, our correct or statements that are true in our study, and which of those would accurately answer the question? Okay, all right. How about somebody in this section here? What would be the answer to that? D. All of the above. That is correct. All three of those are statements that we've used in our study. Very good. All three of them. Okay. Number five. The child of God can expect opposition. Is that true or false? Right? Right? We got this one. I won't ask one of you teenagers on the front because you'll probably get it wrong. So we'll make sure that we ask somebody in the back. No, I'm teasing. But anyway, we know what the answer to that is, right? Everyone together. One, two, three. Yes, that is correct. All right? Very good. Here we go. Number six. Opposition will primarily come from those that are closest to you. Is that true or false? primarily it comes from those that are closest to you. Now, we know it comes from all different drugs, but is that true, that statement? Uh, Anybody ready? Uh, One, two, three. That is true. Right, exactly. A lot of times it's family. (laughs) It's friends. It's uh, those, those that are closest to us because those are the ones that our life affects and is most visible to. Okay? Number seven. How can I overcome opposition? Which statement below is not true? Okay, we've listed some ways to overcome, but which one of these is not true? A, respond properly. B, please God with your life. C, have faith in God. D, fight fire with fire. E, keep good company. Now, listen, don't be too loud. I know some of you can't hear good, but when I can still hear you talking, it's too loud. Because I know some of you are really having a hard time with that E and D. You're like, good company, that's crazy. But that was in the study, wasn't it? So the answer is what? D, fight fire with fire. You don't overcome opposition in the Christian life fighting fire with fire. That's what you do with your wife or husband. All right, so here we go. Oh, I guess that's it. Okay, seven questions is all we had. All right, now that's kind of the introduction and that helps us out. Let me go ahead and get rid of that. There. Okay, good. All right. So now we begin kind of where we left off. Last week, as we got to talking, you know, we we started addressing the issue of how should the unsaved world view me as a Christian? How should they see me as a Christian? That was a couple weeks ago. And we said, number one, they should know you love God, but not by your lips only, but really primarily by your life. Okay. And so we addressed that issue and we we touched on it. We talked about it. And then we said, your lifestyle should separate you from the world. And your behavior should be peculiar scripturally to them. Okay, scripturally, in a scriptural sense. Like we said, it's not like we want to just be strange or weird. That's not the issue. We don't want that. That's not productive, okay? Obviously, I mean, you, you, know, you, don't, you don't wear a you know, cat-in-the-hat outfit around town type thing. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. You've got to teach your kids how to read, maybe. But anyway, uh, you know, so you've got the big top hat. Anyway, we'll move on. But nonetheless, the fact is, is, that, is that we ought not to try to be strange or weird or different in the sense of just weird different. 
but we will be unique. We will be unusual. We will be peculiar as we follow the Word of God because we're so different because we are light and they're in darkness and it's just opposites. It's total opposites. And then we said, as uh, we address this issue of how should the unsaved world view me as a Christian, um, they should see you as being open and honest in all matters. Well, I'll tell you what, honesty is something that uh, is being lost. And we've discussed this in the past in some other series and so forth. But, but we need to be honest, don't we? That's something that we're, we struggle with, even in the Christian realm. It, it's sad, but it's true. Whether it's pastors or whether it's uh, uh, the people in the pew, it doesn't really matter. We're struggling in those areas many times. And that should be something that is pretty much, uh, you know, should be eradicated from our life. We should honestly be honest people. We should be sincere people. And our word ought to be our bond. You know, if we say we're going to do something, we ought to do it. If we're going to, uh, you know, we make a statement, it ought to be true. You know, it's not, it's the old adage again, I caught a fish that was this big. You know, that's not how Christians ought to respond, okay? Uh, we, we need to be honest about those kind of things as well. So we noted those things right there. And then also, uh, as we can address this issue, you know, uh, and we start asking the question again, how should the unsaved world view me as a Christian? We kind of begin tonight by saying they should see a living testimony of the grace of God and the Holy Spirit in our lives. They should see a living testimony of the grace of God and the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for these next few minutes that we have. And Lord, may our hearts be encouraged tonight as we look at your word, as we consider your truths. Again, thank you for being our God, our Savior, and our Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So take the Bible, your Bible, and turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. They should see a living testimony of the grace of God and the Holy Spirit in our lives. Boy, how important is that? And... um, Here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, we're introduced to what's called the fruit of the Spirit. And again, we have the Spirit of God living in us. And we note that in John chapter 14, 16, and a number of other places, Ephesians 4 and 1, and different places like that. We have the Holy Spirit of God sealing us and living inside of us. And as a result of that, there ought to be some fruit. There ought to be evidence of that indwelling. And here in chapter 5, verse 22 and 23... We read what the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit is, or evidence of the Spirit in our life ought to be. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Again, we look at those, and uh, those, that fruit of the Spirit is the outward actions of the, the fact that the Holy Spirit of God is controlling us inwardly. So as He controls us inwardly, then the fruit is expressed outwardly. Evidence of the Holy Spirit's control in our life is manifest, if you will, then, through the fruit of the Spirit or by the fruit of the Spirit. If we're not exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit in our life, then what we are really testifying to is the fact that we're not being controlled by the Holy Spirit in our heart and life. That's really what's going on. And, and, and you know, in our own personal lives, we need to be very honest with ourselves again. It, we're to be honest with the world, as we've seen already, but we need to be honest with ourselves And so many times, you know, our spirit isn't what it ought to be. Our attitude isn't quite what it should be. Or there may be a problem with our perspective or something like that. Well, that is evidence, again, of the failure of the the proper uh, influence of the Holy Spirit in our life. Because when He is controlling us inwardly, then the fruit of the Spirit is a normal outworking of it. 
So the fruit of the Spirit is an outward action of an inward control of the Spirit of God. First of all, love. We think about that word love and we're talking about um, divine concern for others. We think about the love that's being expressed here as a fruit of the Spirit. It's not just you loving me or me loving you. It's God's love through me. It's His love. See, what makes it difficult to love people sometimes is we're trying to do it in our own strength and our own love. See, we have the love of Christ in us and it's His love we're to offer to other people, not ours. It's really not ours because our love is often dependent on response. It's not unconditional like His is. Our love is dependent on how you respond to me. You respond positive to me, I respond positively to you. You, you look right, you act right, you, you're the kind of person that I can appreciate and I can uh, genuinely um, um, you know, respect, then all of a sudden I'll give you my love. The problem is Jesus gives his love to all of us. And the fact is, is that the fruit of the Spirit is, is a, when the fruit of the Spirit is exhibited in our life, it's because the Holy Spirit's controlling us inwardly and it's his love working through us and in us to help people. And to meet the need. And we can love people that are unlovable. Kind of like we are in the sight of God, right? We can do the impossible because of the miraculous Spirit of God in our life. Love. But then joy as well. That joy referring to basically cheerfulness and delight derived from a fixed point. Can anybody tell me without raising your hand or without yelling it out even, just in your own mind, can you tell me what that fixed point is that produces the joy in the believer's life? Well, you probably nailed it. Salvation. Eternal life. Knowing that we have a home one day. See, the problem is today is that if we're not careful, our circumstances tend to determine whether or not we experience joy. But God doesn't want the the circumstances to determine that. We need only look at the early Christian and how they were persecuted and even killed for their faith. And they died in maybe the arena or wherever it might have been at the hands of cruel and Horrible tyrants. But the fact was, they were still required to be joy-filled. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. How do we do that as believers? Well, we do that as the Spirit of God controls us inwardly. As we yield to His leadership, then the fruit of the Spirit is a byproduct of that. And as a result, we can experience joy. Then also peace. Peace being quietness or in calmness of mind. Well, how many times do we need that in our life? You know, I often say to people many times, you know, maybe in counseling sessions, I'll say, listen, the fact is, what is it that you, I'll say, what is it you want most out of life? And you know, it's interesting what people want most out of life. And can I kind of give you a summary of what they want most out of life? It's the first three that are listed here in the fruit of the Spirit. They want love in their life. They want joy in their life. And they want peace in their life. If they were, they were at peace, they wouldn't be in your office. If they were joy-filled, they probably wouldn't be there. If, if they had uh, love in their life, many times that solves a lot of problems. I'm telling you, for the most part, people, almost every problem that I address and deal with would be solved if they would have the, listen, watch, here's the answer to every problem, the fruit of the Spirit. So what does that mean the real answer is? Having the Holy Spirit control the life. See, what most people do is they come to counseling or they come to the preacher and they say, fix my problem. Okay, what's your problem? Well, my marriage or, or, or my job or my life or I'm bound by sin or I'm this or I'm that. Okay, well, listen, let's work on that right now. You need to do this. 
well, wait a second, but my problem is my wife. My problem is my kids. My problem is my job. My problem is my boss. No, your problem is the Spirit of God's not controlling you. Because if the Spirit of God is truly controlling you, you'll be able to face those issues. You'll deal with them biblically and scripturally. And you will know what love is, joy, and peace is. You'll experience all of those. I'm not saying that there's not some things that need to be worked out. I'm not saying that there aren't specific issues that have to be addressed. But what I am saying is, is that in generally, general, in general, or generally speaking, love, joy, and peace are what people are seeking in life. And it is all available to us through the Spirit of God. And so when people say, you say, you need to get some things settled with the Lord. You need your relationship with Christ to be uh, secured and settled and strengthened. And they're saying, yeah, but I didn't come here. I understand all that. What I want you to do is fix my problem. I'm trying to help you fix it. But remember, I can't. Only he can. And so, again, it's, it's not like you're, trying to, you're not trying to criticize anybody. You're not trying to put them down. You're just trying to point them in the right direction. You're not saying you're so bad, you're so wrong because you don't see your need. No, the fact is very few of us see our need. We think we know what we need, but God really knows what we need. <laughs> and we need the Spirit of God controlling our lives. We long suffering. This long suffering is patiently enduring injuries. You know, sometimes we look at long-suffering from the standpoint simply of, I put up with some things. It's when you're suffering through them that it's really biblical and long-suffering. I mean, that's really the biblical essence of it. You're really being put out. You're really suffering in a sense. You're struggling with this, but you're patient in the midst of it all anyway. Hey, that only happens when Christ is controlling you. Because it's easy. Listen, let's be honest. Every one of us have been in a situation where sooner or later, if it doesn't get resolved, if nothing changes, we do what? Blow up. We can't handle it no more. Or we have to take drugs. Or we have to go over here and, you know, get a suit wrapped around us because we're losing our minds. And if you don't think you've ever come close to losing your mind, you probably haven't lived enough life yet. Listen, every one last one of us could be in a psych ward somewhere in the United States of America right now. Don't you think for a minute you're not that close. You let the right circumstances take place in your life and you neglect the only one that can really help you completely. You've got problems. We're all in the same position. We're all equally weak. I'm telling you, don't ever think you're bigger, stronger, or faster or anything else than anybody else. We're all just flesh here. I tell you, you just thank God that you're not there tonight. That long-suffering, though, comes through the Spirit of God controlling us. Gentleness. Kindness displayed in a sweet disposition. Boy, I tell you what, this is lacking so many times in our culture. Look at the, the violence in our world today. You know, there's, there, where, where's the father with some gentleness? Where's a mom today with some gentleness? Listen, we are programming our daughters to be men. Not to have the natural compassion that God intended for them to have. Man, I mean just to be nasty and mean and tough and not take nothing from nobody. And well, Where's that gentleness at? What about guys? Again, like I say, a dad. How is it that a dad can't have some compassion and some tenderness for his children? Gentleness for his wife? You know, I'm telling you, we need it. Guys, I'm telling you, don't tell me you're screaming and yelling at your wife all the time, but the Spirit of God's controlling you. That's not how it works. You know, when I'm doing that, no, I'm teasing. But anyway, uh, I, I, I mean, but, but we've all been frustrated, right? You get frustrated. 
But that shouldn't be how you live your life. You know, long-suffering and then gentleness, goodness, to be, to be a well-doer, to do well. I mean, goodness, faith, confidence and trust in God and His Word. Again, what a tremendous truth this is. When we have true faith, man, we, we, don't, we don't sweat it all the time. Life doesn't burden us down like it does when our faith is weak. When we got faith, I mean, all of a sudden we can handle it. We can deal with it. We can face it. Because we're not trusting in our own ability. We're trusting in God. In His power. His infinite power. Meekness. Humility of heart. This would be maybe described as quiet strength. It's one of those things that Moses was uh, likened to. He was the meekest man, the Bible says. I mean, think about it. Millions of people that he was in charge of, leading through a desert. And boy, every time they turned around, what did they want to do? Kill him. And Moses just kept on going. He kept loving people. And at one point, he even offers himself to God and says, Listen, before you wipe them all out, take me. Wow, that's, that's an amazing man of God. And meekness, humility of heart, humbleness. Today, we play video games and we'll tell people, I'm the greatest football player that ever lived. Really? You're really good at football? Yeah, I'm the best. Well, when do you guys play? Oh, between 12 and 6 in the morning. Oh, you're a video gamer and you're wasting your life. Thank you. How old are you again? 26. How old are you again? 40 years old and married with a family? You're out of your mind, sir. Sorry, just thought I'd throw that in. Do you know how many wives come to me and say, my husband won't stop playing video games? Do you know how many people have called me on the phone and said something about how horrible video games have just just bound their family member, their child, their loved one? And I'm telling you what, be careful. Again, all things in moderation, all right? But really, we need to be careful here. Some humility. Be humble. Admit that you're not the best, first of all. That'd be a good start. You know, that'd be a good start. But temperance, self-control. Have some self-control. Temperance. Those are all elements of a spirit-controlled life. And you know what? Let's be honest. If we look at our lives and we truly evaluate ourselves based on this list alone, we got some work to do. And that work isn't this kind of work, you know. It's, it's this kind of work. And it's this kind of work, putting it into practice. And it's, it's confession, and it's forsaking, and it's repenting, and doing the things that are needful in our Christian life to become holy and righteous in the sight of God. Philippians 2, 14-15, if you would please turn there. Again, they should see a living testimony of the grace of God and the Holy Spirit in our lives. I, I always like when I look at the fruit of the Spirit, it's amazing to me how when you do look at that fruit of the Spirit... You know who I see all the time? And you probably see him too. Jesus Christ. He is love. He's described as all of these things. I mean, we're looking at Christ. He's a manifestation of Christ in your life when the Holy Spirit of God is truly controlling us on the inside. Philippians 2, 14 through 15. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, Without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. 
the bottom line is, as I read that, it comes to my mind, and it seems pretty simple to me, that our testimony before the world is basically our platform by which we share Christ then. If there's not a, a, a visible testimony, a Christ-like testimony, then we really don't have a leg to stand on when it comes to sharing the gospel. Boy, how careful do we need to be? I, I, I could put it this way. Our actions are our credentials. Do you want some credentials in your Christian life? Then your actions have to speak. Your, 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 your actions have to be visible. It can't just be talk. It has to be action. And that's true in each of our lives. So, as we consider uh, this thought again, and we ask the question, how should the unsaved world view me as a, a Christian? How should they see me? Well, they should know you love God, not by your lips as much as by your life. Um, not only that, but they should, um, your lifestyle should separate you from the world and your behavior should be peculiar scripturally to them. They should see you as being open and honest in all matters. And they should see a living testimony of the grace of God and the Holy Spirit in our lives. And finally, generally, you should be of good report. Generally speaking. You say, why generally? Well, I'll be honest with you. Um, have you ever had somebody level a false accusation against you? Claim that you've done something you didn't do? That's why I say, generally speaking, you should be of good report. Now, let, let, let me explain a little bit. I, I sometimes hear the statement. Here's the statement I hear. And, uh, Brother Josh touched on it the other night. I was kind of interested to hear him say this, but um, I hear this statement. Um, and again, I understand the premise of the statement, but I do worry that some may not understand it. Now, here's the statement. I don't care what anyone thinks about me. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. Now, again, I, I think I understand the premise of the statement, and and um, I trust what is meant then by that is this, that, you know, my faith will not be compromised under any circumstance at all. That whether others agree or disagree with my scriptural position, I'm going to take a stand and not surrender or sell out for nothing. That's it. I'm not doing it. I don't care what anybody thinks. Now, that's what I'm assuming, and that's what I hope is being spelled out or shared when they make that statement. And, and again, if that's what someone means by that statement, it's commendable. It's a, a good place to be. Uh, assuming, now here's another assumption, and, and I'm just going to state this, assuming that the spirit that they have in it is Christ-like. I'm going to tell you what, there's nothing uglier on a Christian than a critical, cynical spirit. An angry spirit. I don't care if what you're sharing is truth. If it's not shared in the proper manner, it is very ugly. We have to be very careful as believers that, you know, we may have the answers and we may be, quote, right, unquote, you know. We got the right. We're, and, and, and remember, we're never really right. It's him that's right. Okay, we've got to be careful with that, too. But, but assuming that we take a biblical position, a Christ-like position, we, we assume his position on it and say, this is my position because that's where he stands on it. And we're, we're nailing it. I mean, we're spot on. We're right where we need to be. We still need to have the right spirit in it. And I do believe that that has hurt the church. And I believe it's hurt Christianity somewhat. Because I think many times we can have the right position but the wrong, I was looking for the right word and it came to me and it just went away all of a sudden. So if you just got an attitude toward me, bad, 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 
Wrong attitude right there. No, but, it, but, but, but I mean, we, we need the right, the right um, Holy Spirit speak. <laughs> Stand, okay. Something like that. Yeah, we, we need the right perspective, I guess. We need to have the right spirit in it all, okay? That's good. Thank you. So, that's important. So, be careful with that. And can I tell you this, too? That, that's kind of true in your, your marriage, too, by the way. That works with marriages. You can be right, ma'am, or sir, but the way you share that information with your spouse can really set them off. It can really create some issues. And you know what? Let's be honest. I know that I was dad in my home, and I know my wife was mom, and the truth is, is you can just be quiet. Why? Because we said so. And you know what? Sometimes you need to do what you're told just because they say so. But I'll be honest with you, there is a point where there needs to be a little bit a good spirit in it, too. Take the trash out. Knock it off. What are you, stupid? I'm just saying, and I'm not opposed. Listen, I'm not one of those anti-stupid guys. But the fact is, is this, because sometimes we do some pretty stupid things, right? By the way, brother, don't you call your kids stupid, though, because anyway. But nonetheless, uh. The fact is, is that we don't use words like that a lot of times, but I'm not even sometimes sure that the words are problems, right? Words aren't always problems. It's how we say them. It's how you say things. It's so important. I mean, you say to your kid, that was stupid. Why did you do that? Or, that's stupid. There's a difference, isn't there? I'm just saying, there's a difference. Now, again, some of you just say, you know, you're like, what's his name on whatever show it was? You know, stupid's a bad word and all that. I get it. You know, you've been programmed to believe that every word that's not, okay, I get that. But I'm saying the way you say things is important. I, I, again, I'm kind of going off key here a little bit and I'm going off, off track. But really, I, I want you to be careful. Don't be so sensitive that everything people say offends you. I mean, we live in a world where you can't say anything without offending somebody. Boy, my goodness. I, I heard some lady or some guy scream at his kid the other day. Actually, he cussed at his kid. He cussed his kid in public. You know what I did? I walked over there and I pushed him against the wall. I said, you ever talk to him that way again and I'll be there to hear it. No, I didn't do that, did I? Can I tell you this? When I grew up, I heard that all the time. Not in my home. <laughs> Thank you. It was just every once in a while. No, I'm teasing. But anyway, uh, the fact is, is that it happened a lot more. How many of you remember when people talked to their kids? It was really rough in the day, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Now, listen, I don't know. I'm a byproduct of that culture. Well, let's move on. Okay, so anyway, <clears throat> but we need to have the right spirit. We need to write a good, a good attitude. And the people in the world should see that in us, okay? You can't go around talking like that and being losing control all the time and think that people are going to hear what you have to say about the gospel. It's not going to happen. You should have a good report. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. You can't go around screaming and yelling at your kids in the world we live in, out in public, and think you're going to be able to witness to your friends. It's not going to happen. I'm telling you, I don't, I don't care if you think you're right or not. You've got to use some wisdom here. You've got to think about it. What's best for my testimony? What's best for my kids? What's best for my family? What's best for my wife? What's best for Christ? We've got to think things through a little bit. So how we conduct ourselves before the world is very important. It's very important. And by the way, do you know that people can hear you in your homes? Especially in the summer when your doors are open? You be careful how you talk to each other when you're yelling. 
Be careful. Don't be yelling at each other. That's not good business. People hear that and they wonder, what in the world's going on in that house? And you go over and say, bless Jesus, we want you to come to our service tonight. And they're like, what? Were you the one that was yelling just a minute ago? Was that your wife? Both of us. But anyway, we want you to come on out. I'm telling you, stuff like that's important. You need to have a good report. I mean, at work, don't be stealing things. Don't take pencils home with you unless the boss says you can have the pencil. Don't do things that everybody else does if it's not right. Don't do that. Don't take liberties unless you're given those and you're shared to you, extended to you. And it's clear that they're extended to you. Be careful. People are watching. They may not embrace our values, our moral high ground, but they should easily recognize our integrity, our morality, our work ethic, our consistency. Those are things the world should see in us. So you've got to be careful what you say and what you do. Um, do you know there's a lot of things I don't do that I don't think are wrong because I don't want the world to think something wrong about him? You realize that? There's things, there's things I don't say because I don't want somebody to hear it. Now, I, I, it may be biblical and scriptural, and there's certain places and times for things. I don't walk through the streets talking about abominations and this and that. I, I'm careful who I say things to, where I say it, because people are listening. The world doesn't understand those things. So be careful how you do things. Don't just walk into a room and proclaim yourself as a Christian and say, I hate this and I hate that because God hates it. Well, you've got to be careful with that. You've got to witness those people and you've got to win them. So use some wisdom how you deal with that stuff. You know, be careful, okay? Integrity, morality, work ethic, consistency. And so all of those things are important. But you know what? Every one of us have been falsely accused, haven't you? At work, you've been said something wrong. I remember somebody came into work one time where I was at and said that I had, um, that I had um, filed for some, that I was going to quit and file for uh, workman's comp and all this stuff. I never was going to quit and I never was going to file for workman's comp. Never once. The boss said, uh, somebody had lied about it. Somebody had told the boss some things about me. And he said, uh, and he knew I wouldn't work on Sunday. So he started saying, you're going to work on Sunday. You're going to work on Sunday. You're going to work on Sunday. Started running through the whole place, running around going, uh, Mark Rudolph's going to work on Sunday. He's got to work on Sundays now. He's got to work on Sundays. And I just was like, what is this guy's problem? And so he walked back into the room and I said, oh, by the way, if you're going to force me on Sundays, you know I won't be able to stay here. He went, well, fine, you're fired. I said, no, remember, I'm the one that told you. I will not work here if I've got to work on Sundays. You didn't fire me. I quit. Now, what in the world am I supposed to do about that? And uh, just uh, a month before that, I was his favorite employee, but I don't want to go into the reasons why that changed, but there was a personal thing going on with him and someone else in the office. But nonetheless, there was problems there. Now, listen, people will make things up because they don't like your morality. They don't like your position. They don't like where you stand. If that's the case, that's a different ballgame. But let's not be in a position where our personal life is such that it creates a black eye on Jesus Christ. Don't do that. There's too much at stake here. There's too much at stake. So what the world does think about us, it does matter. It matters. It matters. In business, it matters. In your witnessing, it matters. In your marriages, families, your, 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 it matters. Trust me, it matters. So work on those things. And uh, be true to God, but don't be, you know, don't, don't be, don't try to create issues. You know, be confident, be careful with that. We got, we got to keep the world in a place where we can reach them, okay? Keep them close to us in that sense. Don't distance yourself from the world in the sense of being 
you know, repulsive. You know, be everything you're supposed to be and be kind, considerate, and, and, and careful with the world, okay? And uh, don't compromise. That's not what I'm saying. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But you do need to be compassionate and careful, okay? All right. Father, we come to you.